Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Hello, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. And our goal is to bring you timely, industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our disclaimer, as always, is that our podcasts are not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on our combined 34-plus years of experience in the coding and billing industry, And our goal is to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. Today is Monday, June 21st. Welcome everyone to season three. We are so very excited to have you here with us and so grateful for all our supporters over the last two seasons. This season, we have a lot of coding tips and guidelines coming at you. And so for today, our our first episode of season three, we're going to really hone in on ICD-10. And that's, of course, my favorite uh, section or part of of coding is ICD-10, believe it or not. So this episode is my favorite ICD-10 guidelines. I know what you're thinking. How could a guideline be something enjoyable, right? How could you have a favorite guideline? Well, what I mean by that is really that what I enjoy most about the guidelines. When I think about what I enjoy coding, um, what, what I enjoy about teaching, this part of coding, I'm going to share some of the tips I've learned and some of the ones that have just really stuck in my head that I just find enjoyable to code and that kind of just makes me think, right? And I don't know about you, I love to think. I love to break things apart and and figure things out, especially with, with medical documentation. And so when I teach, I teach from the aspect of breaking things down, thinking about things from a logical standpoint, and always go back to your guidelines. Uh, They are there, right, for us, for a reason. Uh, We're not expected to memorize things. We're not expected to automatically know uh, how to code, right? So that's what our books are for. So what I wanted to do is just kind of break up some main ideas today to start out our conversation and just talk about some of these tips um, and guidelines that we, we find maybe a little bit challenging, but also how we can make them less challenging, right? Always, always, always get to know your book. Now, I'm not here to give you a breakdown of your book because most of my listeners, of course, hopefully already know how to use their books. And if you don't, uh, we are going to have, of course, we have our other podcasts on Life as a Coding Instructor, where our instructor, Angel Kendall, will actually break down some of these concepts for you if you're learning how to code or if you're actually teaching it. So today I'm just going to talk about my favorite tips and some of the things I enjoy. Now, one of the things I always love to talk about is the guideline sections, because as a outpatient and inpatient coder, I have to be familiar uh, with all sections of the guidelines. And maybe you're familiar, most coders we know really dig into sections one, three, and four. Section two is really uh, honed in for those inpatient facility coders that have to deal with the principal diagnosis, the present on admission, all those things. But 
really get to know section one, that's your, your lifeline, right? Your main coding conventions. If there is not a chapter-specific guideline in section one, in the chapter-specific guidelines, of course, we understand that you have to revert back to your main coding conventions, follow the tabular instructions. Because as we know, there are some chapters in ICD-10 that just don't have official chapter guidelines. And we were like, okay, well, what do we do now? We go back to our main coding conventions. We always just follow the instructions. And there's a lot of information out there. I'm a big uh, um, component of actually doing research. I love, love doing research. And I teach my students to do research. Not everything that you need to know as a coder is in your book, I'm telling you. It's a guideline, right? It's a starting point. It lets you know what the guidelines are. But you have to do research and you have to get out there and, and learn about diseases, learn about pathology, learn about these things. It's going to make it stick in your mind so much better. So just know your sections, right? Know where you need to go. For instance, if you're coding for radiology or observation services, there are specific guidelines um, in the sections that deal with those things. If you're looking for a guideline to know how to code acute versus chronic or how to know how to report additional diagnoses in addition to the principal diagnosis. How do we know what should be the principal diagnosis? All of these things are in your guidelines. They've given us everything, right, that we need to know to be successful as an ICD-10 diagnostic coder, right? One of my favorite things to teach when it comes to ICD-10 coding is when it comes to these combination codes. And we know the big culprit, right? Diabetes mellitus. That is one of the big culprits, right? With uh, the combination codes. It can get overwhelming, right? So what do we know about diabetes coding? Well, we know there are several sections, right? There are different types. So we have E08 to E13. Most of us live in E11, right? Our uh, type 2 diabetes. But maybe we have type 1, E10. And so we have to be familiar with the different types. So another thing we have to know, right, is, of course, the digits. We have to know our digits. I'm not here to talk about the structure of ICD-10, of course, because most of us by now should know that structure. Um, but if you don't, of course, uh, feel free to take our, our course on, on our coding course on how to break those things down. But of course, we know when it comes to diabetes specifically, they have a specific definition or purpose for each digit. So for instance, digit four, we know the first three digits give us our type, right? But the fourth character is that general complication category. So for instance, maybe it's a renal complication, a complication of your kidneys, or um, you know maybe it's a complication of your eyes, an ophthalmolo ophthalmologic com complication. And then we have our fifth character. This, of course, uh, gives us more information about that type of complication within that disease. Maybe it's mononeuropathy or maybe it's chronic kidney disease. So after we identify the actual body system, the part of the body that's affected, we then go deeper, right, into that specific complication. And then maybe there is an additional digit, maybe a sixth digit uh, down the road that gives us more information as to maybe laterality or something more specific within that body system, within that disease. So it's clarifying, right? Adding weight, adding further clarification to that condition. So documentation is important. So I want to talk about that. I'm a big component proponent of uh, documentation. I love documentation. And so type one and type two, for instance, you have to know that. They have to tell us that. But our guidelines do not leave us without information, right? They do tell us if your documentation does not state the type, it has a default, which is great, right? Because sometimes we don't always get everything we need, so we have to have our default. So our default for ICD-10 for uh, diabetes is type 2. We have to know that. We have to know the body system affected. 
we want to try to stay away from those unspecifieds, right? Uh, we know when we look at documentation, we see sometimes the same patient documentation every day. And the providers, they get in a hurry, right? They just write DM. They just say DM on their documentation. That's fine. But we need a little bit more, don't we? Because maybe we've looked at our documentation and we know they're on a certain medication. They have uh, chronic kidney disease. They have this, this, and this. So it's important for our providers to give us a little bit more, right? Now, we we do have the ability in ICD-10 to link certain conditions together when they exist per our guidelines. But why not educate our providers to give us a little bit more? Uh, maybe go that further step, that extra mile, and give us that specific documentation, diabetes with. That helps, right? Not always needed, right? Because our guidelines do tell us that we can we can actually link them when there's a, a with in the uh, condition, in the index, and they have them both. But we do want to actually get our providers to give us more information. If they're on insulin, we need that documentation. How long have they been on insulin? Things like that. So there's also, of course, our Z codes, right? We need to be aware of those guidelines. Maybe you're not familiar with um, 2021. There was a slight variation in those guidelines. So read up on that. Every time there's a new uh, book that comes out, open up your guidelines. Find those bold letters, those updates to the, the text, the revisions in wording, because it may be something that is going to change the way you code for that current year. So remember, our long-term use of insulin code, Z79.4, and then Z79.84, the long-term use of oral hypoglycemic drugs. And this is not for patients who are just getting insulin or just doing this to bring their blood sugar up temporarily, right? This is for long-term use. It is in the specific guideline. That's what it's for, long-term current use. So they've been on it for a little while, and it's not just a temporary thing. So be aware of that. One of the things I see routinely with some of my student exams and some of the things that audit is that sometimes we get in a hurry, right, and we're coding our combination codes and we think we're done, right? But we're not. Don't forget that even if you have a complication code, you still have to read your tabular instructions. Sometimes there are additional codes we have to report to further clarify things. So for instance, if you have diabetes and you're coding that with an underlying systemic disease, such as chronic kidney disease, which is common, you're going to code your E10.22 for type 1, for instance. Say the patient has type 1 diabetes and they have stage 3 uh, chronic kidney disease. You're going to code your diabetes code with a diabetic chronic kidney disease. And don't forget, you always have to add your type of, of kidney disease, your, your CKD. You have to add your stage. It's very important. So very clearly, you know, ask your physician to be very clear on the type that stage, because we don't have that stage, it's really difficult for us to be accurate in our coding. There are lots of instructional notes besides just diabetes too, that just to point out this out. I'm a podiatry, a podiatry coder, and so I, of course, know this as well. I have to code my E11621, and I have to code my L code for my uh, foot ulcer. When, they're, uh, when they have a diabetic foot ulcer we ha and they're diabetic, we have to code that foot ulcer and we have to code that additional code for the L code for the type of ulcer. So these are just a little bit, uh, you know, misconstrued uh, concepts that people just maybe kind of forget. We get in a hurry. We're trying to code multiple conditions, but just take a minute and stop. Look at your documentation. Look at your coding book. Look at your tabular. Read everything around it. 
You know, do your checklist. Have I checked for add code first, code additional? Have I checked my excludes one, my excludes two notes? Have I checked all of the additional um, items surrounding my code to make sure that I have coded appropriately? Have you looked at the includes documentation um, in the tabular? Sometimes it's a kind of a generic thing, right? It's a generic description. But if you look under the includes notes, it gives you more specific information as to your diagnosis. So maybe there's just one code that kind of is a catch-all for a lot of different conditions. They have those conditions listed uh, in that inclusion notes that tell you you're in the right area. So just read that, read through it, make sure you're in the right spot. Another area of ICD-10 that I love to talk about and I love to code is neoplasms. I know what you're thinking. Really? Neoplasms? Come on. I know. It's complicated and it's frustrating sometimes, but I do love it. I love coding neoplasms. I code for a plastic surgeon. I code for um, a breast surgeon. And so I'm in this a lot. I'm in coding for these. And believe it or not, every single provider at some point might see a patient that has a neoplasm. And it could be benign, right? Or it could be malignant or in between. So we have to know the guidelines. It doesn't matter what physician we work for, what area of healthcare we're in, at some point, we're going to have to code a neoplasm. So we don't want to be afraid of it, right? We want to be proactive. We want to be, you know, on the defensive. What do we need to know? What do we need to learn? How are we going to tackle this, uh, this monster, so to speak, of neoplasms when it comes to coding? Now, if you're taking notes while I'm talking, that's great because there's a lot of things I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes that can be helpful for you when you're breaking apart the process of coding for neoplasms. So the first thing we want to understand is, yes, we have a starting point. We always go into our index, right? Our alphabetical index. But with neoplasms, it's really great because we have two options, two steps within the the index to really help us narrow down our code. First of all, we need to understand, of course, the type of tumor or mass that we have. Remember, though, that if they just say it's a mass or a lesion, we don't automatically go to our neoplasms, right? We have to use our index to lead us there. So if it's a mass or if it's a lesion and we don't have a path yet, uh, we, go, of course, have to go to those items in the index. Go to lesion, go to mass, and see where it takes you. Sometimes it's just going to take you to disease of, or other times it's going to take you see neoplasm. And then you're going to know where to go, right? So it really just depends on the documentation. Let your documentation be your guide. Let your documentation be your roadmap to lead you to that right uh, document, that right terminology or right code in the tabular or in the index in the tabular. So for instance, when we look at a documentation, let's say it says melanoma. Maybe we don't know what type of neoplasm that is. Maybe it's an adenoma. Do we know what that means? Squamous cell, all of these things, carcinoma, all of these things, we have to know what they mean. So maybe we have to look them up, research, but it's also possible that the terminology in the index will lead us there. So first of all, you look at your documentation. You say, okay, I have an adenoma. I'm going to take that into my index and I'm going to look up adenoma in my index and see where it leads me. So once you've located adenoma in your index, what do you see? Well, You see, see also neoplasm, comma, benign, bingo. That is what we're looking for. We're looking for the type of neoplasm that we can now use in our neoplasm table. We need to know the type of neoplasm in order to code it appropriately. So we need to know what type of tumor it is first, right? We found out, okay, it's adenoma. An adenoma is what? A benign tumor. So now we have a starting point in our our little table, right? Our neoplasm table. I don't know about you. I've been coding a long time. Sometimes I really do miss 
the neoplasm table being alphabetical in the ends, right? Now it's, of course, at the end of the, t of the index, but just be familiar where it is. You can tab it in your book if it's helpful for you. But once we get to our table of neoplasms, we're going to see, of course, a column for benign. That's where we want to go, right? We've already identified that our tumor we're coding for is a benign tumor. So we're going to go to the benign column, obviously, right? But we're also going to need to know our body part. We're going to need to know where this mass is, where is this tumor. So on the far left, you're going to find, of course, neoplasm in your site, right? Make sure to watch those indentations. They can mislead you. A lot of connective tissue there that keeps going, right? But once we find our specific body part, our specific area, we just follow our finger over to that column and we look for our code. And as we know, most of them are very specific. Some of them may have dashes that tell us to go right what to the tabular. But guess what? We have to go there anyway. Never, ever, 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 ever under any circumstances code from your table or your index. Coding 101, let me, let me tell you. So go to your table, your tabular, and code it from there. That's what we want to do. So we have our body part, we have our type of tumor, and we have our code starting point, right? So let's take that and now let's uh, go to our tabular. Now as an orthopedic coder, I'm going to go ahead and pick on my bone tumors. So I have chosen a neoplasm of the bone and I'm going to choose the hip bone. And so in my benign column, it tells me to go to uh, D16.8. So I'm going to follow that code into the tabular, even though there's no little dash telling me I need additional digits. What do I know? I already know that I'm going to have to go to my tabular coding 101 because there may be additional instructional notes, additional codes I may have to report based on my documentation. Now, once I've located my D16.8, I'm pretty clear there's no notes or instructions, any additional digits I have to add. It's a complete code. Benign neoplasm of the pelvic bone, sacrum, and coccyx. So that's going to be where the hip is going to be coded from. So I'm done. I've coded my benign neoplasm of the hip. But what about the other columns in the neoplasm table? Sometimes we get really confused, right, of what the other ones mean. Benign is kind of like your, yeah, that's a good one to get, right? It's, it's not going to go anywhere. It's pretty safe, right? But then we have things like carcinoma in situ, and we have the unspecified behavior, and we have, of course, uh, the malignant, which we know is the bad one, right? But let's talk about the carcinoma in situ. What does that mean? Well, it literally means in place. So it's a very specific term you're going to see on a path report, describing that the tumor cells are undergoing malignant changes, but are not extending beyond the point of origin. So they can refer to this sometimes as a non-infiltrating carcinoma, non-invasive, so the pathologist is going to be the one that's going to designate that as cancer in situ or carcinoma in situ. And so we're going to have to be very cautious about getting that path report and getting that path report before we code anything. Some of us work in an environment where sometimes we can't wait because the charges have to be billed out. It's the end of the month and we have to do it. Uh, so we have to code what's in front of us, which of course is just our tumor or mass. We can't code it specifically to cancer in situ or carcinoma in situ uh, because of the fact we don't have um, that documentation of the path report. But I do always, always, always uh, recommend waiting for that path report if your facility allows you to do so. Maybe you can put your claim on hold. The provider is still going to get his RVUs, still going to get that um, 
that payment, but the claim is going to have to wait to go physically out to the insurance just for a few days until we can appropriately get that diagnosis correctly on there. So if it's possible for you to do so, I highly recommend doing so. Uh, let the powers that be at your facility know the importance of accurate documentation and coding working together to make sure that it is appropriately reported on the claim. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential, and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. But what about the unspecified behavior? Well, this is, of course, one of those columns, right? That is that last column. And of course, this, is, of course, should be coded only when you cannot clearly identify in the medical record. Maybe the patient moved to a new location. The physician doesn't have access to previous records, so we don't have information. But there really should be hardly any instances where you're not going to have a specific documentation of the neoplasm. Be very clear. This is this just means unspecified you know, basically unspecified. It's your generic unspecified code. We don't want to use those if we can not help it. Remember, ICD-10 was created to give further specificity. So by now, we should be, have trained our providers. We've been doing this for so many years now, since 2015, we've had ICD-10. We by now should be familiar with the process of documentation, accuracy, and specificity, which is key in ICD-10. And of course, as an orthopedic coder, one of the things that I always have to deal with is my seventh character, right? Now, this is a concept when ICD-10 came out that was really confusing for a lot of coders. And believe it or not, a lot of people still confuse the A and the D. Don't know why. Definitions are pretty clear. But we're going to just kind of break that down today and try to help kind of separate them out and get really clear with it, right? So what is our A? That stands for initial encounter. This is when the patient is receiving active treatment. So a lot of times when I'm teaching, I like to just say, think of the A as active. If they're not in that routine healing phase, right, they're still active treatment, they're being treated still for that condition, then it's the A. It's always the A. Even if they go into the surgery, they've seen them in the office, maybe it's their second, third visit, but they haven't treated it completely yet. They haven't completely solved the condition, the issue. They have to take them to surgery. That's still the A. It's still active treatment, right? What is the D? The D is subsequent encounter, but the definition is very clear that it's appended when they are have received active treatment, but are now receiving routine care during the healing and recovery phase. So when it comes to injuries, fractures, things like that, what are they going to be doing for the patient? They're going to maybe change a cast. They're going to do an x-ray to check the healing status of the fracture. Maybe they're going to remove a fixation device because the they had to put something in the patient to hold those bones together so they could heal. They're in that healing phase. They can now remove those devices. Or maybe they're going to adjust a medication. Anything past that initial active treatment, they're now in that healing recovery phase, is considered the D. Even though it says subsequent encounter, that is there to remind us that usually, yes, the healing phase is going to come into play in these subsequent encounters. It doesn't mean it's that second visit because the second visit, right, could still be active treatment. So remember those definitions, break them down, read those definitions, first of all, and then get to know their differences, right? 
And then we have our ever-loving S, our sequela. Now, this is when there is a complication or condition that comes as a direct result, right, of a condition. Typically, we see the example of a scar formation after a burn. So how do we appropriately link those or code those? What order, right? Well, the current condition is always first, right? That's coding 101. What is the reason for the visit? So they may have a current problem, like a scar formation, right? So that's going to be our first listed diagnosis. It's always the current problem. What are they being seen for that day? If that current problem is a sequela of a previous injury or previous condition, then that sequela code is, of course, going to be our secondary condition. So the burn, right, has that seventh digit of an S on it. So the burn code, the original burn that they had, will be coded with an S. The current problem they have is their, what, late effect? That's going to be coded uh, as the first listed diagnosis. So your current problem, your current late effect is first, followed by your sequela, your original injury problem with the S on the end. It's time for another ICD-10-CM break with Jennifer. That's right, everyone. It's time for another ICD-10 coding tip with Jennifer. So what tip do I want to give you today? Well, we're going to start this new series of these random tips I'm going to throw in here every once in a while for you. So today we're going to start out with our Z codes. I love my Z codes. I feel like they are just one of those things that a lot of people get confused about. But my tip today is our encounter four codes. How many of us get stuck looking at documentation and there's just nothing but a status code that we're reporting and it's all we can report, status of, or maybe it's attention to, right? So Think about this, coding 101, we have to have a primary diagnosis, the reason for the visit. Sometimes it's just the fact that they don't have a problem, right? They're there for a screening or something, or maybe they have a history of something and they're just getting to check them out for it. Remember, history codes are those that are not supposed to be reported as a primary diagnosis, a status of code. So there's always something that can be listed as primary in our encounter four codes. I find a lot of coders, when I'm auditing or teaching, always forget that there are a slew of encounter four codes that can cover almost every situation. So take out your book, go to your encounter four codes in your tabular, read through them. You will be surprised how many options you have for encounter four. So where do we start? How do we know where to start from? Well, where do we start usually? We start our index, right? There is a slew of things under encounter for in our index. So that's the best place to start. You know, think about what your patient is there for. As an example, I know a lot of times my very first specialty I ever coded for was radiology. And a lot of times the patient didn't have a problem. They were just there for, you know, follow up on something. So what are they there for? We don't have an actual symptom. Maybe, maybe sometimes it's for observation. So look for encounter for observation. Um, a, there is a code actually for encounter for radiological as part of a general and medical examination. So maybe it's just a routine examination and they need to do an x-ray. There's codes for that. There's one for with abnormal findings. So if they find something abnormal, we have a code for that as a reason, you know, for that visit. Maybe they had abnormal finding, they have to be seen for that. Maybe they had suspected exposure to something. That is an encounter for code. It's going to be listed primary because it's the reason for the visit, right? And then there's other times where they have a suspected condition, but it is ruled out. There are an encounter for codes for that. 
There is a suspected condition ruled out uh, specifically for fetal abnormalities, uh, for things having to do with the, the female problems, the pregnancies, things like that. Maybe they're coming in because they need instructions on something. There is actually an instruction um, area in the index under encounter for instruction for childbirth, for instance, family planning. Believe it or not, not every patient comes to the doctor because they're sick. So a lot of times they are required to go for certain things. So maybe they have to do something for administrative purposes. Maybe they have to get an exam uh, for a driver's license or employment for uh, school admission, sports. These are all things that are found under the encounter for section of your index and should not be ignored. So if you find yourself, well, I can't, I know I can't code history of as primary. I can't code status of because there has to be a reason for the encounter. There's always something, right, that we can use in the encounter for section of our index and then follow to our tabular so we can have a primary diagnosis. Well, my last and final item for ICD-10 guidelines that I want to talk about, and yes, I'm broken record. I love orthopedics, so I love picking on orthopedics because there's so much, right? There's so much we have to know for orthopedics, but fractures. I'm a lover of fracture coding. I love it, love it, love it. And there's so much to know, right? So let's break it down. Let's stop and let's think about what are the steps that we have to go through in order to code a fracture. So what do we need to know first of all? Well, how was the patient injured or was it an injury? Uh, and then, of course, go from there. So was it a traumatic or was it a pathological fracture? So what is a pathological fracture? Sometimes we get confused. We don't know the difference. Well, a pathological fracture basically is caused by a disease. For instance, a patient who has osteoporosis, of course, their bones are made more brittle. And of course, they're going to break easier. So the disease is what's making that fracture break. It wouldn't normally have broken if they didn't have the disease. So then we code right from our, our M section versus our S codes our injury codes. So that's the first thing. We have to be in the right section of our book, first of all. And then we need to know the type of fracture. Was it open or closed? Did that bone pierce the skin? Is it now an open, visible fracture? Or is it under the skin, broken, that's a closed fracture? And then the location, right? Oh my goodness, that's probably one of the most important things, right? We have to know the location. There are so many codes in the injury section, especially for fractures. And some body parts have... And it seems like an unending list of types of fractures within that body part. So we have to know that. We have to know further information. You know, is it a green stick fracture? Is it a torus fracture? Is it a colis fracture? All of these additional terms that mean something to a, a orthopedic physician. You know, they, of course, need to tell us those things. We know they know. But if we don't have it documented, we're not going to be able to appropriately code. It's going to get pushed aside, right, to an unspecified or other specified because we don't have the specific term. Now, the difference between unspecified and other specified, of course, is different. So unspecified means that they didn't actually tell us the type. Other specified, sometimes we do have to use that because maybe they did specify a certain type, but it's not a term that is used in our index um, or in, in ICD-10. So it's maybe a term that isn't referenced and we can't find that specific term then we could use the other specified codes if they exist. Laterality, huge, huge, huge. Please, please, please do not forget your laterality. If you have two of something, that provider better know what side they're working on, let me tell you. I get so annoyed. <laughs> I know we, we kind of get our soapbox here. We talk about how we get annoyed, right, as coders? Sometimes we do get annoyed. 
when our providers don't give us that side, right? But you know, they're busy. Sometimes they forget. They know what side they're working on, but sometimes it doesn't get from that point to the paper, to that computer, to document the left or right. Sometimes it gets, you know, mixed up in their head too. They may think right, they write left. And so we have to kind of go through the documentation and, you know, ask for a query, ask for clarification, right? So laterality is very important. And then again, is it displaced or non-displaced? There are two items in the guidelines that really help us out here, right? Because remember with diabetes, we had that default. We have defaults with fractures too. So let's say our physician doesn't tell us if it's open or closed. Our default is always going to be closed, right? That's what we always default to if we don't have that documentation. If it's not documented as displaced or non-displaced, we have a default as well. It's going to default to displaced. Just keep that in mind. Just some tips there for coding for fractures. Next, we need to know how it's healing. Now, maybe it's not in active treatment, but maybe they're in the routine healing phase. There are other items, other seventh characters that can identify things. Is it a non-union? Is it malunion? Is it delayed healing? There are different options in our, uh, of course, our tabular in our little seventh character boxes that we have to be able to identify. But most of the time, yes, we do the A, the D, or the S. Very rarely are we going to do those other ones, but they're there for us if we need them. And an episode of care. That's our seventh character. Remember, seventh characters never change. They're always what our book tells us they are. So find those seventh character boxes. They're laced throughout your book. Very clearly, of course, in your uh, injury section for fractures. And one of the things I always like to remind people of is that your finger and your eyes have to follow very carefully because you can get lost with all those boxes. And very clearly in those boxes, they list the very top of each box, the code categories that that box belongs to. So sometimes you're in the middle of of coding, you're in the middle of a section, middle of a a character section, maybe it's a three-digit section, right, category, and you're in the middle of it somewhere, but that box says it's only for this code and it's like four digits, right? But you don't have that specific code category Um, to code from. So you have to go back to the beginning of that three-digit code category to find that box because it's not always going to be right there where you are. Maybe it's just a a slew of code. Maybe it's like five or six codes that belong to that box. So your code is outside of that area. So you know I have to go all the way back to my three-digit category code for that area in order to find my appropriate seventh character box. The reason I say this is because a lot of coders have messaged me and asked me, I can't find my seventh character. I know it's supposed to be this, but it's not there. And so that's the reason is, is because that particular box they're looking at doesn't have those seven characters because it's not applicable to that code set, that code category. So we have to go back to our main category and then you'll find, it'll say this box is supposed to be coded uh, for all codes in this three digit category code, right? So if there's not a specific one, specifically for that four digits or five digits, you're going to have to use a three-digit category code box at the very beginning. So I know it's hard to kind of explain this without visualizing it right, but just kind of, you know, follow along when you're listening to our podcast. Try to visualize it by using your book as I'm talking. That's one of the the main things I, I like to point out. When you're listening to an educational Um, podcast like this, it really helps to have your books out and visualize while I'm talking uh, some of the things that I'm mentioning, because that kind of helps you 
picture it and see it um, in your book. Well, that is the end of our show today, guys. I hope you enjoyed our new season, episode one, on IC10 tips that are my favorite. It's always our goal to inspire and educate. I always say knowledge is power. Don't give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. Stay tuned for future episodes on ICD-10 PCS, Documentation Dissection for E&M 2021, and many other episodes. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, and our wonderful producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.